welcome back to this week's winners on 88.3 FM, WXOU. And McClure, and it's good! Verstappen wins the Austrian Grand Prix and once again he's crushed the opposition at the Red Bull Ring. James Harden, a deep shot. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's Winners, a show featured on 88.3 FM WXOU. My name is Benny, as always, so glad you could join me today. Uh, if you missed it last week, I had a special guest on here, Dempsey Lordson, my uh, old friend, joined me to talk all things hockey last week as we get ready for the NHL season to start in a couple weeks here. Uh, so go check that out if you missed it. It's up on Spotify uh, with this week's Winners. Uh, follow me on Twitter to join the conversation at TWW Sports. This week, uh, we'll catch up on our motorsports that we uh, have missed, Formula One and NASCAR. Uh, then we'll have a discussion about uh, some of the key football teams to watch this year, uh, some of the teams that I played or paid close attention to over the past couple nights. And then, of course, we'll talk about some of the top rookies in the NFL. Uh, some of the players that, you know, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, you know, players that uh, I have high regards for coming into the season. Uh, but I think we should probably just get right into it, starting with NASCAR. So, uh, before we talk about uh, the past couple weeks in the NASCAR playoffs, there are... Uh, couple things that I, I want to talk about as far as NASCAR goes. And, and first of all, I want to talk about my experience a couple weeks ago uh, at the Coke Zero 400. I actually went to that race and it was a lot of fun. You know, it, you take everything that uh, a lot of us have, have gone through in the past, you know, 18 months and you think about how nice it is to go to a sporting event where it seems kind of normal, you know, like everything around it, you're around sports fans, there's sports fan, you know, it's full attendance almost. So uh, looking around, you know, Daytona International Speedway, it, it was really cool. You know, it, it was awesome to see so many people in attendance. And, and I think that is going forward. I think that that's something that so many people are going to rely on uh, to get back to normal is sports. So looking at how many people were at the Coke Zero 400 and really the first opportunity I've got to go, you know, pretty far away to see a race, you know, 
uh, Florida. Of course, I went to the race at Road America as well, and there were, you know, plenty more people there for that race. But it was so nice to see, like, a, a Daytona-type track of so many people. And, you know, and Daytona and Road America are way different. You know, Road America is a huge road course that's, you know, completely outdoor. It's like a golf course, you know, like a huge golf course. And, and you know, although Daytona is huge, it's more of like a stadium setting, if you know what I mean by that. So it's nice to see, you know, have the grandstands packed, and it's so much fun. And I think they did the right thing. As far as the racing product goes, I think they did the right thing by moving this race to the regular season finale. Because there there are so many... There's so many storylines coming into it, you know, and Daytona's just that one last shot, that one last, oh, what could happen here opportunity, you know, for so many drivers. And you saw Ross Chastain up there battling all night long and and leading laps. And is he going to upset, you know, and how is Austin Dillon going to do? Is he going to be able to upset his teammate and point his way in? Well, both of them miss it because someone outside the top 17 in points wins their way in, so it's, they did such a great job moving that to the finale, and I'm not just saying that because I want Road America to keep the 4th of July date, Uh, of course, I love Road America, and I plan on going there, you know, every year that it's there, and I think the 4th of July is perfect for Road America, but Daytona, and this was my first time at Daytona, and Daytona is so amazing, you know, every single part of Daytona is just amazing. You walk around that huge facility and everyone's so friendly and they had good food there too. I guess I'll digress a little bit. And that's, yeah, they had great food. The food there was very good. I was impressed. Uh, good drinks, you know, every, I don't think they ran out of water, you know, which is something that I believe even happened uh, two weeks ago at Darlington. I think that, that they ran out of water before the race even started. So uh, you can't be doing that especially in the hot summer heat, but the Coke Zero 400 was so much fun. And, and I had a lot of fun uh, there with my dad, with my girlfriend. We, you know, taking in the sights and sounds of NASCAR and on the big stage, it was great. With the big crash on the la- last lap, was it was so cool. And, and I talk about this because it, it is very obvious that NASCAR is not, you know, like, I I call it a major North American sport, right? Uh, But for how many of us is that actually true? You know, how many people actually believe that NASCAR is still among the favorites in North American sports? I mean, don't get me wrong, over 100,000 people in attendance at Road America is no small feat. But you look at other tracks like Indianapolis, you know, where they've been struggling for attendance for so long. And and to be fair, you have to give NASCAR a lot of credit for what they have tried in the last couple of years. They have tried to spread their wings so far... They listened to what fans were saying. They're like, oh, fans want more short tracks. They want more road courses. So they, you know, for the longest time, there was only two road courses on the schedule. 
you know, Watkins Glen and, and Sonoma. And now they, they have so many. I think there were seven this year. You know, Daytona's road course, the Roval, Road America, the Indy road course. You know, they're, they're adding so many different road courses. And they're adding so many short tracks. They're turning California into a short track because fans want to see short tracks, right? They're testing out rain tires at short tracks because they know that, you know, well, after Circuit of the Americas, I wouldn't say that a lot of fans really love wet races anymore. But the point is, is NASCAR is trying to add more popular events and big events, you know. And, and while they've, you know, NASCAR's ratings have gone up in the past couple of years, you know, from what they were at after their huge decline with the car of tomorrow, you know, it's it's still far off from truly being a major North American sport where, you know, you're you're going to be able to see someone... You know, like you can go out in public and the odds are you're going to see someone wearing uh, a Major League Baseball hat, you know, an NFL jersey or, you know, even an NHL hat or something. Right. But I I would not say, you know, outside of some of those southern states, you know, like the Carolinas, you know, Florida, Texas. uh, And even there, I, I, you know, question it. I doubt that you'd see a lot of people with NASCAR merchandise. You can see it every once in a while because obviously it's still popular, but would you go as far as to say that it's a major North American sport? And I'd say the answer right now is no, but they're doing their hardest work to make it so it is once again. And for me, and why I love NASCAR so much, and why I'm saying all this is because I want NASCAR to grow in popularity. I I want people to experience the joy that I have with NASCAR and that I have with watching it. And to understand that, maybe it's best that you understand why I like NASCAR so much. When I was uh, very young, I'd say, uh, I got to watching NASCAR with uh, my dad and my grandpa. My grandpa was a, a Matt Kenseth fan. Uh, my dad loved Jeff Gordon. And I liked Mark Martin for the most part, which was, you know, three iconic names through NASCAR history. You know, Matt Kenseth obviously retiring a couple of years ago, Jeff Gordon being an all-time great, and then Mark Martin, you know, being uh, one of those names that you can easily think of and dominated the, the now Xfinity series back in the day. And every Sunday or Saturday night... Uh, I would sit around and I would watch the NASCAR race with my dad. And it just became a way that I bonded with my dad. And so I enjoyed NASCAR so much. And I wouldn't say that I was a diehard fan and I followed it like a ton once I got into like my, you know, later teenage years. But in 2015, me and my dad decided to go to Road America when it was, it was Xfinity at this time, only Xfinity. Uh, and it was like the last year of the Nationwide Series, actually. So we go to Road America in the, you know, the northern Wisconsin, right? Smack in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we're walking down their, their huge campus. And I uh, there was one driver there uh, sitting with uh, the JD Motorsports team. And that was Ross Chastain. And, and we walked up 
to Ross Chastain and there was no one there, you know, and, I, and we talked to him for like 15 minutes. I got a picture with him. And, and to give you an idea of how far removed this was, Ross Chastain was wearing a jumpsuit that I believe said Landon Castle on it. At this time, Ross Chastain didn't even have his own fire suit <laughs> when he was racing for JD. That's in the early days. So uh, I got a picture with him way back in the day. And me and my dad were like, man, I got a picture with him. That's so cool, you know. And so for the longest time, I'd be cheering for Ross Chastain just because, you know, I got a picture with him. And my first year of college, I was like, man, like, I really wish he'd get a break. And then Chip Ganassi gives him the 42 car in the Xfinity Series for a couple of races. And he almost wins Darlington. And I was, you know, I almost went nuts. And then he was guaranteed the 42 car. It fell apart. He didn't get to have his ride. Uh, but then Colleg Racing picked him up to drive the 10 car. Now he's in the 42 car. He's going to be in the 1 car. Uh, but that's not what's important. What's important is that Ross Chastain became uh, this icon for me, uh, this name that, you know, I cheered for when he was nothing all the way up until he's huge. And he's, you know, this this guy that uh, recently has been doing great. I think he finished seventh. We'll go over the results in a, a couple of minutes from the race uh, on Saturday. But Ross Chastain became this icon that me and my dad watch every week. And now I watch the races uh, for this show. And of course, uh, if it wasn't for the show, I'd be watching for Ross Chastain every week. And he is uh, easily my favorite driver, you know, most intriguing driver to me to watch, you know, and very humble guy. Uh, it was great to talk to him. He doesn't seem like he's changed, at least from his interviews uh, since 2015. Uh, I'd love to get a chance to talk to him again someday. But uh, so I get to watch NASCAR every week. And, and text my dad whenever something happens with Ross. Like, hey, something happened. You know, like, look, he's he's running third or second, you know. So, and that's the way it is in every sport. Is that if you find this guy that you're like, oh, he's going to be great, you know. And you become so invested in how they're going to do it. And it, might, and it might be a hockey team. Like the, the Red Wings, for example, right now. You're a huge fan of the Red Wings. They're not good right now. They weren't very good last year. And the year before that, they were abysmal. But they still had a lot of fans that were like, man, watch this. And, and they struggled with attendance, right? People aren't showing up when they're losing that much. But there's that group of people that are saying, hey, this team is going to be great in a couple of years. And they're invested in the growth. And when this Detroit Red Wings team is elite in a couple of years, there's going to be those fans that have been with them since they were struggling to fill Little Caesars Arena, right? There's going to be those people that are diehard fans because they were with them since they were at nothing. So that's what Ross Chastain is for me. And that's why I love NASCAR so much. And it's why I think so many people should love NASCAR is because there's always that underdog to cheer for. And there's the people that still say, oh, it's just turning left. Not anymore. Because, you know, especially with, you know, the car of, t or not the car of tomorrow. Thank God it's not the car of tomorrow. The next gen car, you know, coming next year. It, it's putting the stock back in stock car. What made stock car racing popular was exactly what they're striving for in the future. They're trying to go back 
to what made them so popular. So if you got away from NASCAR and you've been thinking, maybe I'll get back into it, you should get back into it. It's great. So much fun to watch. And I have enjoyed watching NASCAR for years, you know, and I really couldn't tell you why. I mean, I'm not, you know, primarily I was a hockey fan growing up, but I played hockey, right? And NASCAR was just kind of one of those sports where I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. They go fast. And now I'm totally invested in it, especially like I've been saying with Ross, but NASCAR is a great sport. You should get into it. And what we should get into are the results from Richmond on Saturday night. So, Martin Truex Jr. wins his second race of the years for since Darlington back in the spring. Uh, he takes it over his Gibbs teammate, uh, Denny Hamlin, and other teammate, Christopher Bell, in third. Chase Elliott uh, brings it home fourth after the car fell off the jack during a late pit stop. Joey Logano fifth. He's been having a couple of quiet weeks where he's just been, you know, floating around. He hasn't been doing all that well, uh, especially all the way back since the Indy road course where he hit the curb and slammed into the tire barrier. And sixth was Kyle Larson. Not really the, the rocketing start to the playoffs that I anticipated Kyle Larson having. Uh, but in seventh, Ross Chastain, he continues to be the best of the non-playoff drivers, the only non-playoff driver in the top ten. In eighth was Kevin Harvick, ninth Kyle Busch after he pretty much quit last week. And then in tenth was Ryan Blaney. Uh, in twelfth was Alex Bowman. Uh, he continues to be right on the cut line and 13th in the points right now. So he would be cut over Kurt Busch, who's tied with him with 2,053 points right now. And then in 15th was Tyler Reddick. In 19th was William Byron, who continues his rough start to the playoffs. And then in 37th is Kurt Busch, who was the only one to wreck out of this race. And the point standings right now, Hamlin, Truex, and Larson are locked into the round of 12. And then at risk, I'd say, are pretty much everyone else, especially when you consider the first week at Darlington. So I'd say the most at risk. Ninth, uh, Brad Keselowski has kind of been silent. You know, I was thinking about it the other day and I was talking to one of my friends about it that he's just kind of been, you know, forgettable in the last couple of races. I mean, he might have run good or and he might have run mediocre, but I can't really seem to remember because he hasn't had any standout performances, which is very unlike Brad Keselowski. And then uh, above the cut line in 10th, Kyle Busch. I'd probably be further above the cut line if he wouldn't have, you know, just pulled into the garage in Darlington after his accident. I mean, maybe the car was actually irreparable, but it really didn't seem like it. just kind of seemed like emotion got the better of him. Last week, that was. And then 11th, Eric Almarola, who, you know, is is above the cut line. You know, I, I kind of saw, you know, Almarola as one of those guys that you're like, yeah, you can pretty much count him out after the first round, but here he is above the cut line, and and he can shock some people. And then uh, Chase Elliott's in seventh. 
He's growing his point lead. Someone that I saw when and when I was writing for the show is Kevin Harvick's in sixth in points right now. And by no means is he safe. He's 25 points above, so you know you wouldn't be wrong by saying, yeah, he's probably good, right? But Kevin Harvick's not a guy who's had a great season. You know, it's been a pretty tough season for, for Kevin Harvick, who he and Hamlin dominated all of last year. You know, they it seemed like every week it was either Hamlin or Harvick winning. Well, Denny Hamlin in, in Darlington last week got his first win of the season. Locked himself in to the round of 12. Kevin Harvick has been running better, but still, Stordhaus Racing does not look too good. However, below the cut line right now, Alex Bowman and William Byron. Byron is 18 points below the cut line right now and is... He's not in a must-win scenario for Bristol, but you might as well call it that. He's going to have to be up contending for stage wins. He's, you know, he's going to have to have a great race at Bristol this coming week. And if you were to tell me that Stuart Haas Racing was going to send two cars through to the round of 12, and Hendrick was going to lose two cars to the round of 16, I would have said you were crazy. If you told me that, you know, the day before the Darlington race, the day before the playoff race, I would have told you you were mad. <laughs> but the way it's worked out, uh, Bowman made a mistake at Darlington that cost him his race, and then William Byron crashed in there and got damaged, but he was able to recover his race until he blew a tire, smacked the wall. Uh, I wouldn't say the same for this week at Richmond, where William Byron just did not run very well. He finished in 19th, and it's tough when, when you're already in a hole to have a race that you really just didn't really show up, you know? So Hendrick's in trouble. But on the flip side of that is Joe Gibbs Racing has showed up. They, they waited until the playoffs, but here they are with two straight wins, with Hamlin winning last week, Truex winning this week. I mean, they're in a good position right now, and... All things considered, uh, you know, you have Bell in eighth, who's plus 17 right now, and Kyle Busch is eight points above, and, and like I said, could be more. So there's one race left. You know, Bristol, only race left in the round of 16. And what we've seen so far, Joe Gibbs Racing is going to be fine. But Hendrick, you know, it wasn't too long ago that people were talking about the possibility that Hendrick could send all four of their drivers to the championship for. Now two of them might not even make it out of the first round. So it's tough. And if you're Hendrick Motorsports, you've got to be kind of sitting around like, man, like where where did this all go wrong? But, you know, like I said, Bowman is minus zero. You know, he's tied with Kurt Busch right now. So if he has a good race and then, you know, Byron goes out and wins... They could still send all four drivers. You know, there's a lot that can happen at Bristol. Uh, obviously, Larson's already advanced on points. And Logano is in fourth, and he's plus 40. He's pretty much, you know, locked in. I'd say you can just say Logano's locked in. But everyone else, I mean, Blaney's plus 28. I mean, they don't have practice qualifying or anything. Say they start the race and they make a mistake and their engine blows up. Lap one. It's a 
pretty good chance that Blaney misses. You know, it's very close right now. So, for sure, the playoff drivers opened up very, very sloppy at Darlington. And that's why it's so close right now. Is because pretty much every playoff driver besides Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin had issues. I mean, Truex Jr. had like 11 penalties, it seemed, last week. And again, this week, actually, he rebounded from an early, I think, speeding penalty to win the race. And you look at everyone, Michael McDowell, uh, it was pretty much already like, yeah, you're probably not going to make it out of the round of 16 because he won the Daytona 500, right? And he'd run pretty good on the road courses and other things, but he wrecked pretty early in Darlington's race, which he's definitely out, I'd say, in this round. But then Tyler Reddick, you know, barely squeaked into the playoffs. He hasn't run spectacular, but he can get his way out too. You know, everyone else in these playoffs, you know, Byron minus 18, he can point in, but it's going to be tough. Kozlowski, 13 above. Bell, 17 above. Elliott, 19 above. Anything can happen to these guys. One, an early incident, you know, and, and you could be out in the early round. And I think it would be a disaster for Hendrick to lose one car in the round of 16, let alone the, you know, two of them. So, so uh, what can we expect from the Bristol race coming up this week? And you can expect a lot. You know, it's the Bristol night race. Uh, it's pretty much the only Bristol race this year since they turned the one in the spring into a dirt race that, you know, was kind of a fiasco, but was kind of cool. And uh, Joey Logano ended up winning in the dirt. So you're going to expect some tempers. People are going to get mad. Uh, I think you can expect, you know, Ross Chastain to have another good run. Uh, you think back to a couple of years ago when Matt DiBenedetto was, you know, racing Denny Hamlin for the win. You could see someone like that. You know, even Matty D, I, I could see him racing for the win on Saturday. But pretty much anything can happen. I mean, the way that it started in Darlington, uh, so sloppy and everyone wrecking. I mean, I could see the same at, at Bristol. Otherwise, you know, it could be a very clean race like Richmond was, you know, where it is just a, a very green race where everyone just race their own race, and the only accident was really Kurt Busch. We'll see. It's going to be one to watch for sure. And now quickly, uh, let's go over Formula One. There's been a lot of things, that, and next week, uh, with Formula One being off, I'll probably go back and talk about uh, some of the fiascos that they have faced in the last couple of weeks, including the horrible, horrible race at Spa. But for this race, this race was not horrible. It was, is the Italian Grand Prix. You know, last week, or last year, Pierre Gasly won the Italian Grand Prix, and that was amazing, right? Everyone went nuts for that. And this year, I, I'd say everyone's going nuts again. So, Daniel Ricciardo for McLaren wins his first race in like three years since leaving Red Bull. In second, his teammate Lando Norris. McLaren go one and two for the first time since 2010, and they are the first team of 2021 to do so. Not Mercedes, McLaren. First one-two of the year. Absolutely spectacular stuff from McLaren, who, 
you know, had, had taken a pretty big step back since, you know, Mercedes began their dominance. And Zach Brown, their CEO, was so adamant on the fact that this team is, you know, showing up. And the championship leaders took themselves out of this race. You know, Hamilton and Verstappen wrecked, right? So it's easy to look at this race and say, if they don't wreck, you know, it's probably one of them winning. No, Daniel Ricciardo led every single lap. He passed Verstappen on the first lap and led start to finish. Lando Norris, on the other hand, I'm pretty sure was just in front of that accident. So it's possible that one of them could have hunted down Lando Norris. But, you know, I'd say that Ricardo had a chance to win regardless of of this happening. And McLaren just showed up. And it is absolutely great stuff to see when McLaren... When they crossed that finish line, I was so happy for McLaren, and especially for Daniel Ricciardo... Uh, he was actually promised that if he, when he gets his first podium, that he gets to drive Zach Brown's uh, Dale Earnhardt car. He has one of uh, Dale Earnhardt's number three cars, NASCAR race cars, that he gets to drive now. And he won. I mean, it wasn't even just a podium. He won. So just super stuff from Daniel Ricciardo. Everyone's super happy in the Formula One community about this. Uh, in third, Valtteri Bottas, he drove from 20th to 3rd. I think technically 19th because one of the AlphaTauris had a major issue right away. But I'm a little surprised. So they gave driver of the day to Daniel Ricciardo. And I'm a bit surprised that they didn't go with Valtteri Bottas considering that he had an incredible drive up to 3rd. Uh, but Bottas has been overlooked I'd say, for the majority of his career, which is unfortunate because he is a spectacular driver. In fourth was Charles Leclerc, and uh, Ferrari had a very strong home Grand Prix. I'd say that it was, you know, a lot better than last year. Uh, Carlos Sainz finished sixth in the other Ferrari, so good for him. Uh, Sergio Perez in the alternative Red Bull had a five-second time penalty that pretty much you know, gave away his chance at a podium late in this race. Uh, Lance Stroll finished 7th. Uh, Fernando Alonso in the Alpine in 8th. In ninth was George Russell back in the points after a, you know, pretty tough qualifying session and a tough sprint for him to finish ninth has got to feel great for Russell. In 10th was Esteban Ocon, Nicholas Latifi in the other Williams in 11th. Williams has been running very well. Lately, uh, Robert Kubica uh, finished uh, 14th. He's uh, filling in for the missing Kimi Raikkonen, who's out with COVID right now. And then uh, back the bottom of the grid, 16th and 17th, uh, Verstappen and Hamilton, who scuffled once again, uh, wrecked into turn two in the chicane. Uh, Max Verstappen was hit with a three-place grid penalty for the Russian Grand Prix for this. I don't think that's the right call. I I don't think that he deserved a penalty for that. Uh, I think it was a racing incident. I think Verstappen was as much to blame as Hamilton was, because Hamilton didn't leave the space, but Verstappen could have easily, you know, just not stuck his nose in there. But, you know, it's a three-place grid penalty for him. 
which hands, you know, Mercedes the points that they pretty much lost today, so, uh, or, you know, on Sunday. So, it's unfortunate, but uh, Hamilton walked away from this crash, thankfully. Uh, Verstappen's tire went right across the top of his car, and if the halo wasn't there, it could have been a nasty incident. So, I'd say that everybody who watches open-wheel racing whether it be IndyCar or F1, F2, I'd say everyone is for the Halo now. You know, the Halo has proved that it is a perfect fit for safety, you know, and, and it helps, you know, turn the ugliest of accidents into just minor, minor little incidents. So uh, I'm very glad the Halo did its job. Disappointing that Verstappen and Hamilton weren't able to battle it out on the racetrack uh, again, uh, but when they're the title opponents and they're so closely matched, you know, we're going to see these incidents. Uh, both AlphaTauri cars retired early. I believe it was separate incidents that caused them to retire, but they finished 19th and 20th. Uh, Max Verstappen still holds on to his point lead with 226.5 over Hamilton's 221.5. Daniel Ricciardo uh, jumps up to 8th with 83 points now, but his teammate of Lando Norris is actually in 4th above Sergio Perez with 132, so Lando Norris with his 2nd place finish should not be overlooked, especially with the very consistent season he has been having. Formula One has definitely been uh, fun to watch. They, uh, like I said, they have a break after going for three straight weeks here. They have a break coming into next week. So next week, no Formula One, but we'll catch up on IndyCar and we'll probably talk about Formula One as well just because we missed a couple of weeks of that and there are some narratives that I think are important to go over. But for now, uh, we're going to toss it over to the NFL. So with the NFL starting back up, I took a couple of teams that I wanted to pay close attention to. And I want to pay close attention to the Super Bowl opponents from last year. I want to pay attention to the Bucks, right? Kansas City. Of course, the Lions I want to pay attention to because this is a Detroit-based show, so I got to pay attention to the Lions. Uh, and I want to, too. I mean, I, I definitely want to. I don't want to make it seem like I don't want to pay attention to the Lions, because I definitely want to pay attention to the Lions. Anyway, so the Cowboys and the Bucks. So, I think Dak Prescott uh, reminded everyone that he can he can sling the ball with the best of them. Uh, I mean, for certain, he can sling that ball. It was 42 for 58 for 403 yards and three touchdowns, uh, I'd say that the Cowboys' run game struggled a lot. Uh, Dak's main target last night was Amari Cooper. Uh, Cooper had 13 receptions for 139 yards and two touchdowns. C.D. Lamb had seven receptions for 104 yards. It's a pretty back-and-forth game. The Cowboys were able to stick in there for a while, but... Early on, they missed a field goal, which really hurts, especially when you consider the final score. 
they also missed an extra point like right after that. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like the Cowboys have had issues kicking field goals before, but someone might have to jog my memory if there's any key games where they've missed field goals. Anyway, the Cowboys uh, looked much more competitive with Dak back. Uh, however, Tom Brady just has his way of taking over every game, you know, and uh, he was 32 for 50 for 379 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions, though. Uh, not much running for the Bucks either. Uh, Leonard Fournette had 32 yards on nine carries. It's pretty much the best of it, though. Antonio Brown uh, pretty much proved that he'll be a vital instrument to this team if he can stay out of trouble outside the field. He had five receptions for 121 yards. Uh, Godwin had nine receiving yard, or nine receptions for 105 yards. Uh, Gronk, once again, had a 100% completion percentage with Brady going 8 for 8 with two touchdowns and 90 yards. And then the Bucs uh, have not lost a game when Rob Gronkowski has a receiving touchdown. So Tom Brady is now 15-4 and four in Week 1 games, and that is a stat that not even the official app of the NFL knows how far it dates back to. Like, I look, like I was looking at the statistic on NFL, and they're like, they're pretty sure it dates back to, like, 1950, but maybe, maybe. It's definitely the best in a very, very long time. So not all bad for the Cowboys, though. They, they showed much improvement. I mean you got to solve the missed field goals. You can't be missing extra points, and you can't be missing pretty close field goals. So that's the eighth time Dak Prescott has been above 400 passing yards, and he is great to watch. Hopefully he can do great things with the Cowboys this year. On the other side of things, though, Kansas City is playing Cleveland, and Kansas City escaped with a win after waking up pretty late. I'd say in the first, you know, half, this was not the Kansas City team that anyone was expecting to open the season. Baker Mayfield, uh, though, he also put on a show. I mean, 21 for 28 for 321 yards, one interception. Nick Chubb was doing it all last night with 15 carries for 83 yards, two touchdowns. Kareem Hunt had six carries for 33 yards. David Njoku had three re receptions for 70 or 76 yards. Jarvis Landry had five receptions for 71 yards. Uh, a little weaker than I thought the Browns would be, you know, for their passing game. I, but they did have, you know, more options than I anticipated them having. But no Odell Beckham Jr. hurts as he was not ready to start the season. He didn't feel like he'd be 100%. Patrick Mahomes was 27 for 36 on the other side of things, though, for 337 yards and three touchdowns. Edwards uh, Hilaire had 14 carries for 43 yards, which was the best of the running game. Again, I expected a little bit better of a running game from Kansas City, but when they have Mahomes, of course, they're going to go to the air more often than not. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey led the way for receiving, as I'm sure anyone who plays fantasy knew was going to be the case. Uh, Tyreek Hill had 11 
receptions for 197 yards and one touchdown. Kelsey had six receptions for 76 yards and two touchdowns. I think that the Browns showed promise, but once the Chiefs, you know, woke up, they grabbed this one very tight matchup. It was 33-29, to and I expect Kansas City to kind of be on a roll after this, but with Baker Mayfield healthy, I think that the Browns, you know, if he continues putting up, you know, numbers 21 for 28, I mean, it's very good accuracy and 321 yards. Uh, he did have the one interception, but Baker Mayfield looked very good. So uh, I could see them, you know, cleaning things up and contending a little bit further up there this year. Another game that I looked at because I really think that Buffalo is going to be a team that people need to watch. And Pittsburgh's D shined in what was otherwise a sloppy game. Uh, after allowing 10 unanswered points in the first half anyway. Uh, I think Pittsburgh locked it down in the second, uh, allowing zero in the third quarter, and then I think they allowed six in the fourth. Josh Allen was 30 for 51 for 270 yards, one touchdown. Devin Singletary was eight, had 11 carries for 72 yards. Stephon Diggs, who I think is always underrated, you know, some people might argue he's overrated, but I don't hear him a lot anymore, not since leaving Minnesota, but uh, Stephon Diggs has always been great to me, and Cole Beasley were the primary targets for Allen. Diggs had nine receptions for 69 yards. Beasley had eight receptions for 60 yards. Emmanuel Sanders had four receptions for 52 yards. Gabriel Davis had two receptions for 40 yards and one touchdown. Josh Allen, though, had two fumbles, and Singletary had two fumbles as well. On the Steelers' side of things, though, Ben Roethlisberger looked pretty good. 18 for 32, not the best accuracy, but for 188 yards and one touchdown. Najee Harris, 16 carries for 45 yards. Run game was not really able to get going for the Steelers. Juju Smith-Schuster had four receptions for 52 yards. Claypool, three receptions, 45 yards. Deontay Johnson, five receptions for 36 yards and one touchdown. And on the defensive side of things, TJ Watt, who I think most people knew was going to have a good start to the season, shined. Two sacks on Allen for TJ Watt. Cameron Hayward also had a sack. I think that the Pittsburgh defense is going to be one of the best in the league, which I don't think is really a secret to anyone this year. And then the Detroit Lions versus the 49ers. So Jared Goff was 38 for 57. Not horrible, especially considering the yardage at 338. Three touchdowns. And surprisingly, a pretty good running game, which is something, you know, of course, you know, once we don't have the D, I mean, you could argue we never really had the D, but our running game would get going. Jamal Williams, nine carries for 54 yards and one touchdown. Uh, they went to Swift 11 times. He had 39 yards. TJ Hawkinson, eight receptions, 97 yard. I think we all knew Hawkinson was going to be pretty good. One touchdown for him as well. Swift actually had eight receptions for 65 yards as well. The Lions fought very, very hard to come back in this one. And they almost stunned the 49ers. Uh, but Jimmy Garoppolo started for the 49ers. He was 17 and 25 for 314 yards. Uh, Trey, 
Trey Lance did see some time for the 49ers. Uh, he threw the first touchdown, but I didn't see much more of him. I'm not certain if he got any more time. Elijah Mitchell, 19 carries for 104 yards, one touchdown. Debu Samuel, nine uh, receptions for 189 yards, one touchdown. Final was 41-33. to 33. And we certainly made their running game look better than I'm sure it is. And, and you know, Debu Samuel as well, 189 yards on nine receptions. They were able to air it out against our defense as well. Goff is about where I thought he'd be at, you know, maybe even a little better. And I think some people are like, yeah, he's a little better than I thought he would be. Uh, but the Lions have now allowed 30 or more points in their last seven games. Not to mention the problems with Jeff Akuda. I mean, he had a rough game. Uh, he's arguing with the coach. You could see it on television, right? Uh, and that's never good. And he's just not where he needed to be. And he's getting yelled at and chewed out because he's not where he needs to be. And now he's out for the rest of the season with an Achilles injury. So, I wish I could say things will get better, but uh, for the Lions, I'm not certain. For Matthew Stafford, though, as an L.A. Ram, he had himself a game. So we'll, we'll end this episode by talking about some great things from Matt Stafford. In his first game as a Ram, he went 20 for 26, 321 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, he threw to six players three of which had over 60 receiving yards. Cooper Cub had over 100 yards on seven receptions. Van Jefferson had 80 on only two. Matt Stafford had a 156.1 passing rating. So I think everyone knows how good Matt Stafford's going to be in L.A., and we're all going to miss him in Detroit quite a bit. For next week's winners, though, the NASCAR playoffs continue. The NFL continues like I said, we'll probably talk about some Formula One, but I know for a fact that we'll talk about a lot more than just NASCAR and NFL. So tune in next week to see what that will be. Uh, that's going to be it for this week, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, remember to follow me on Twitter at TWW Sports. Uh, if you like what you hear, as always, tune in next week. Uh, it's going to be great as we continue to talk about the NFL season. I can't wait to talk about NASCAR, NFL, NHL when it's starting uh, in just over a month now for the Red Wings. So that's going to be very exciting there. But until next week, everyone, I will see you later. You've been listening to this week's winners on 88.3 FM, WXOU.